Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Medics. My name's Beth and John. I'm a current GP. P trainee, forgot what I did for a second there. Yeah, current GP trainee, ex neurosurgery trainee. Yeah, I think you got you you guys know that already. Um, but yeah, today with me, uh, I have as per usual. Well, you replaced me last time with the Rusha, oh, yeah. didn't you? <laughs> well, that was a bit awkward. <laughs> and, uh, that was blame blame the Rusha for that very last minute little stand. The Rusha's stepping on my toe. Anyway, who are you? Um, yeah. Who am I? Who are you? Um, hi, I'm Nina Jar. I am a GP with a special interest in urgent care. Oh, how are you? Are you good? I can't say that without laughing. It sounds so lame. Are you good? Yeah, how are you? You've had a bit of a crappy day today. Oh God, <laughs> yeah, <you>? yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's it's been a, it's been a day. Yeah, I had a couple of I had my COVID. No, I had my flu and pneumococcal vaccine yesterday and was okay. Like that evening, I never really get reactions to jabs or anything. And then ended up with like a horrible migraine overnight, which might have been because of that. I don't know. Um, tried to drive to work this morning, got about 10 minutes in and realized I couldn't actually see that well. <laughs> oh so turn, turned the car okay. around to come home and then the car bloody broke down. So yeah, it's been, it's been a day, but, um, yeah, never mind. But we're, we're actually, we're recording this podcast earlier on in the week this week, actually, aren't we? Than we, than we normally would. We are. We normally record on a Thursday, but we're doing it on a Tuesday today. It's mainly because <laughs> so, there's just so much stuff. No, I'm only really joking. Time yeah. issues. Yeah. No, time I've double booked <laughs> Yeah, we cut myself. it because there's too yeah. much drama on Twitter. We couldn't handle it anymore. We thought, yeah, like, we it. had to put a cap on it. But no, as per you, I know, I know the guys say this and we always say this like every time we're on it, but it's like, why does all the big stuff tend to happen? But it, it's always happening, isn't it? It's not like never ending but do you remember the first never the first one drama. we did I think was it like Shivani's boost tweet was that the first one we did we yes. were just like if you think I don't know if I should say this but how much prep we did for that podcast episode do you remember we were like back and forth back and forth prepping and having a nice little sheet and now it's just like are you free I'm not free, are you free? <laughs> right let's just start Nina you're spoiling the illusion oh, <laughs> it's gonna turn out like sorry no I mean it's all very well prepped of course of course <laughs> but I've actually got a bit of a bone to pick with you Nina because the last time we recorded this podcast was I think the end of August and as a GP I've been trying to make an appointment with you and I've had to wait over four weeks to see you again so to do sorry. this so sorry apologies to Teresa for not meeting our two-week GP target which was absolutely ridiculous yeah that was fun wasn't it this week when she announced that um GPs must see patients who need an appointment in two weeks despite everyone actually working like more than flat out like yeah sure love that's we'll just do that they did the same thing a couple of months ago do you remember with the ambulance mm. um with the ambulance waits and then they said oh all hospitals must take immediate steps to make sure that no ambulance waits longer than 30 minutes and they're doing it the same thing now like all gps must see you know patients within two weeks i mean why it's such a uh, it's such a childish approach to the whole mm. situation so, like why do you think that's not happening now like yeah. surely you've got to actually think hang on why is it not happening now why aren't we doing that huh maybe when we know what the problem is we can put steps in to actually the solve key. it yeah exactly why aren't we doing it now and it's because there's no staff so where are the staff <laughs> that's going to make this suddenly happen but I read um I read the Pulse article about it and it, it made me laugh and they quoted I think they quoted her and it said um the government says they will free up funding for practices to employ um other roles including GP assistants and more advanced nurse practitioners and then it went on to say it remains unclear what the GP assistant actually is. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's good. It's good, isn't it, that the powers of be are like saying, oh, yeah, we'll provide money to employ more GP assistants when that's yeah. not even a thing that, that exists. It's not even a thing that exists. But that's the thing. They don't, they don't actually need to have a plan, do they? They just need sound bites because yeah. all they're trying to do is to gain public. Mm. They want to turn public. Oh, we have my own theory on this, but this is just another route to privatization isn't yeah. it this is the classic yeah divide turn patients angry against put the blame on gps put the blame on primary care mm. and then 
You make them angry. You write about the soundbites. And then in can yeah. come private practice. There you go. Sweeps the floor. Yeah. There you go. But you write about the soundbites because it was like with Brexit, wasn't it? And they had that massive red double-decker bus and it said something like, there'll be 350 more million pounds for the NHS if we leave the EU. Like, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, complete BS, as we all know, isn't it? But like you say, it sounds good. But um, well, there was quite a lot of like back and forth about all that when it was happening um and there was there was a comment that came up that just really struck me about how there's still quite a big disconnect between some of our secondary and primary care kind of colleagues when what I presume was a a secondary care colleague said well we do two-week waits for certain presentations across secondary care specialties but what you know that that wasn't doable before it was done so why aren't you doing it in GP just missing the point like completely but the fact that you can write something like that just shows how poor your knowledge and understanding is of what we do in general practice mm. you, you're consulting 1.2 million like the volume is it's just incomparable mm. like in gp you're you know you're that we're consulting 1.2 million patients every single day yeah you don't have the capacity for more and secondly it's a completely different like a, a completely different presentations that you're seeing. So, you know, already when you're referring patients to, to for a two-week wait, they've already been seen by a GP. Yeah. Most of them have had like some investigations done. It's been filtered, That's filtered, filtered down and triaged. Mm. Whereas in general practice, it's just whatever comes through the door. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's a ridiculous comparison and it just shows yeah educate yourself educate yourself educate yourself yeah so for anyone who's thinking the same was like well we do two-week waits in hospital why isn't gp the same there's your answer but another kind of that kind of leads us quite nicely on to a tweet about um patients expectations of healthcare. uh did you want to read that one out yes so this was a tweet by Ian Beardsell and his Twitter handle is at DocIb. Um, and he put, the bit I don't understand is why no one telling the public that their expectations of the NHS are simply too high. There needs to be an element of self-care first for many. GP appointments are available as are A&E services, but we cannot cater for the worried well. I don't know if I, I, I see their point, but I don't know if I agree about this concept of the worried well, because how does someone who's not a healthcare professional know if they are the worried well or if they are the worried unwell? Like if you have symptoms, how, you know, it's very easy for us to say like, this is a thing to worry about after taking a history, examination, tests or whatever. How is it kind mm. of, how can we expect, I hate the term lay people, but people without like kind of healthcare training or medical training to actually know that unless they, unless they see someone, I don't, I don't know. I just think, yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think we can lump the worried well in, in one little bunch, because obviously if you've got a patient coming in with, like a left shoulder pain and you know they're in their mind that could be heart attack related then I, I wouldn't class that as the worried well I would class that as somebody with a genuine medical concern um and I don't really like the term worried well no, at all to be honest but I do in the defense of this tweet because I know most of the responses were you know what we've spoken about before um, about how, you know, the worried well, should, we, we shouldn't put the onus on the patient to interpret their symptoms and, and their diagnosis and triage themselves appropriately. However, <laughs> I, we do see quite a few patients who, oh, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. We do <laughs> see quite a few patients who perhaps um, with maybe some education throughout schooling or like the stuff that maybe our generation or the generation above mm. may not have come to see a doctor for that I'm seeing a lot more in younger generations. Yeah. For example, patients who have had like a runny nose for three hours or yeah. someone who thought they might have had a little cold sore a week ago. It's gone now, but they just wanted to run it past. It's just those tiny little things that they're not worried about anything else more significant mm. and they're very mild. Yeah. 
I actually think that there is a health education that is lacking mm. in the community. Not, it's not an individual issue. I think it is more of a, you know, a wider yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. People support networks about have changed, public haven't health they? Yeah. And health education, exactly. Um, and I also think that, um, you know, we are getting squeezed everywhere in the NHS, and we just have to think about what our role mm. is. So I do think that the GP is often like the like the default dumping ground for for everything. And I think that's just because we're the only ones that do it, but we're not actually the ones that are trained for it. We may not be best placed to do it, but we're the only ones that seem to do it at the moment. Mm. So like things like like sick notes or um, council letters or schooling issues, like I just feel like it, we're just the dumping ground for... Yeah, it's for, it's for you to take responsibility so people can everything. avoid taking yeah. it themselves, isn't it? No, and, mm. I, and I agree what you're saying about education, but I think like... In an ideal world, which is this is very much not at the moment, and the the, the maximum that we're doing at the moment doesn't even feel like we're doing the bare minimum at the same time, if that makes sense, in terms of yes. we can't yeah. at the moment even cater for all the sick people the way things are. Yeah. But if that was not the case and we were in, in an ideal world, you know, I, I as a GP or a, as a community care physician or practitioner, I would love for that education to be a part of my job thinking well I'm based in the community I might be best placed to actually deliver this education to people um I know that people's opinions will differ on that but for me that's something that I would think I would enjoy doing but as general practice as it is at the moment there is just no way but you know yeah we should we all want to aspire for more for general practice and you know what the ideally there should be more resources than just for the most sick people but I see what you're saying. The reality is that it's very much not that at the moment, is it, for many different reasons, no. mainly the Tories. But. And it's not anything we want to do. It's, it's simply you've just got, you know, this this huge demand. And how do we make sure that the people who, who really need it are being seen? And it shouldn't be that way, but that's mm. unfortunately how it is. It's how we, it's how we prioritise. If you're on call, you prioritise the sickest ones first. And yeah. it's like that on a larger scale, I think. I saw, um, I haven't put it down on, on our podcast list, but it just... Reminded me of a, a tweet I think I saw by Jimmy Lamb this week. It might have been yesterday where he kind of said, I think he said he was a bit disheartened or a bit fed up of kind of saying to patients at the moment, that's the best you're going to get on the NHS at the moment, essentially. And that does kind of mm. get you down, doesn't it? Because like, you know that people deserve better and should be getting better, but you physically can't provide it. And we've it. delivered better before. Yeah, exactly. It's like you always assume that you're going to get <laughs> deliver a better mm. and better service throughout the years, but actually it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Mm. And that's due to factors that are out of our control. Yeah, and there's so many things, isn't there? Like there's always lots of talk about like social care and how that's not kind of good enough. And then we get this concept of, again, another horrible term, but bed blockers. And that's just something that Salva brought up this week. And um, it just fits quite nicely in here, I think, where Salva said, you know, it's a bit of an insult to call vulnerable patients who can't be safely discharged from hospitals bed blockers. And it is, but all these yeah. terms get created, don't they? Because we just can't deliver what we need to deliver anymore. No. It's this horrible no. purgative language. I haven't put it on here either, but there was on our list. Sorry, you can you can tell we're a bit more, less prepared for this. <laughs> no, one. we've got this, Nina. We've got <laughs> this. Telling each other. There was another tweet which actually I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks anyway, but by um, Dr. Ali uh, G. Hashtag I stand with Ukraine, and she put here um, a quick question for um, NHS England. Blah blah blah. I've spent many years asking slash encouraging patients slash parents to buy simple over-the-counter medications, e.g. paracetamol, ibuprofen, antihistamines, etc. Um, for themselves. Um, and then she put, in light of the ongoing cost of living crisis, if we see patients or parents who are struggling to make ends meet, should we, as responsible healthcare professionals, still be doing that? And I think she's in, talking in terms of prescribing mm those simple over-the-counter medications for patients and I think that is I mean that's definitely something that has changed in my practice the last few weeks because before this we used to get bombarded like in my pra oh, practice that I worked in emails constantly saying please do not prescribe this medication it can be bought over the counter please encourage patients you know and if we had prescribed it we would then have to explain why we prescribed you know mm. the paracetamol the antihistamine or even piles medication thrush medication you know yeah when patients can buy it over the counter but we're at a point now where people can't even afford 
food. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If they've got a child with a temperature, a fever at home, or, you know, if someone's in pain and they don't need, they just need something simple like paracetamol to keep them going, Mm. I just prescribe now. Yeah. I just, I don't even hesitate. Well, what what else can you do? Like, it's we, it's be, the best of the bad options, if that makes sense. I remember Liam Barker kind of, I think, mentioning that kind of similar sentiment over the summer when with all the antihistamine type stuff. And I think I remember him tweeting saying, you know, you can get all your nasal sprays and your fexofenadine like over the counter. But obviously where he was working or where he is working in a relatively deprived um, area of, of London, it's like, you know, it's all well and good being able to say that, but if the people can't afford to go to the pharmacy and purchase it, then, yeah. you know, wh- why why would really? you prescribe yeah, I think it? I fexofenadine was £12. It's like £12 Yeah, it's not pack. cheap. Yeah, or you get patients paying for like a year's worth of prescriptions and then, th- you know, they're asking, well, can I not just get it on prescription? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? But just... The whole thing's a shit show, Nina. That's the way it's going. It really is. Got no hope. Oh, we'll We're all get... defeated. Talking about no hope. Oh, gosh. <laughs> this is such a downer. <laughs> it's such a downer. Oh, dear. You know our funny tweets that we have at the end? We should intersperse yeah, them we through should. the podcast. We we should. Should. Everybody's going to feel down and like turn us off. But yeah, some of the responses to this tweet were, were pretty, oh God, got me yeah. a bit down. Um, so this is a tweet by um, Digital and Tech GP. Um, his Twitter handle is at Dr. Gandalf 52. And he wrote, um, what is something you thought you knew about general practice that you later learned to be untrue? Surprise me if you can. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> I feel like my whole, my whole, my whole career has been a lie. <laughs> Get out now! Get yeah. out! But I was—I wasn't thinking of just GP. Obviously, I'm only kind of six months into my GP training. But I was thinking about this in like medicine as a whole, and I just think, oh my god, there is. I feel like I did some like I didn't go into it completely blind, and I feel like I did some research. But no matter what people tell you, it just can't. You did some research. You basically you asked me and May J what. So what's no, like I mean, no, 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 I mean, no, I mean, no, I mean, not nothing to do with GP. I can't, I can't oh, comment on GP, oh, but oh. Be, about medicine in general and just about being a, a doctor oh, my and bad. stuff. Sorry. But it's just, no, but I just think like all of it's a lie. <laughs> like, <laughs> every bit, every bit of it, all the professional fees, the exams, not a lie, but you know what I mean? I just didn't anticipate that it was going to be like this. I did no research before I went into it. I'm like, oh yeah, healing people that sounds fun I I generally thought that I would earn enough money to like live comfortably and and I god I knew I was never going to be rich like I wasn't that naive but I just thought I've got a steady job I'm in a career that's needed um and that I will earn a wage that will allow me to not have debt and I'll be able to live a nice life if I want to but oh boy but that's how it was sold to us at school as well like you're gonna have a stable job and you're gonna be financially secure Mm. and I think maybe it was at some point wasn't it when people had like free accommodation and stuff not to kind of go over all the same stuff again that lots of people and ourselves have mentioned previously but you know and how our pay hasn't gone up with inflation and stuff but it is just another argument for pay restoration isn't it like Mm -hmm. to like I, I can't make my wage stretching to cover all my bills and just keep accumulating more debt and I think I've been in this job 10 years and I'm still like it's just yeah but did you have anything that you kind of that it kind of struck for you in terms of what you thought probably I think oh, I've said this before again just just previously but I think being the, the dumping ground for a lot of stuff like I always thought that like for general practice you just kind of deal with your patients that you've mm. seen that day in your clinic. I'm laughing because it's so silly now. Like I just thought you'd see, see your patients in your clinic and then, you know, you just deal with the paperwork about, you know, related to that. And then you just kind of go off yeah. in a merry way. But um, did you think you'd be able to actually practice medicine? Yeah. <laughs> How naive were you, Nina? And I'm dealing with all this stuff. Like I haven't, mm. I, I'm not, a, yeah, you feel like you've got to yeah, be a, bit of everything yeah um, yeah it was more just dealing with everything else that I didn't really know that I was gonna have to deal with like what I said before like all the social stuff yeah yeah 
And I guess, um, and I guess maybe we have these preconceptions because it hasn't always been like how it is now. So I guess they've come yeah. from a place of some truth. <laughs> but yeah, things are just not going well <laughs> for any of us at no. the moment. No. Um, but but talking about kind of money and of course there's a well the horrible cost of living crisis that's kind of wreaking havoc at the moment um a a tweet came across my feed which I thought was quite enlightening um yeah so this is should I read it out this is a tweet by uh Lynn May and uh she put unpopular opinion a one thousand, a one hundred thousand pounds. My head isn't even confused. <laughs> a one hundred thousand pounds salary is not the wealth you think it is. After tax, your take-home monthly is five thousand four hundred and fifty-seven. If you are a man, a man with a family of four, with a wife who is yet to go back to work, with a mortgage of two thousand pounds, no <laughs> one can tell me that family is rich based on that alone. Let me do some quick maths. So 5,457 take away a mortgage of 2,000. Oh gosh, Nina, that only leaves 3,457 a month to live on. That's really tough. How can you cope with that? Mortgage of £2,000 a month, blimmin' heck. But yeah, that was, I don't know, that made me rage. Absolutely made me rage. Imagine, imagine Imagine not reading the room and thinking, Okay, I'm gonna tell people how blind you have exactly. to be. Exactly, and and <laughs> um, all the quote tweets and comments were just like, "What the actual f?" But you have to think <laughs> of this in like in in the bigger picture because benefits like employment support allowance. Um, someone brought up this example. So ESA, the entirely the entire yearly income for someone on the premium enhancement or what we call or what they call support group level of ESA, so the maximum that you can have, is six thousand eight hundred and thirty eight pound a year. A year. Sorry, a year. <laughs> a year. A year. <laughs> Sorry. Um but and then uh, and then they talk and they're saying that like 5,457 a month is really not the wealth that we think it is. And it's like, okay. It's really not reading the room, is it? Tell those people that, (laughs) yeah. It's, it's, and someone else pretty much summed this up and they said, right-wing politics is the art of explaining why 10,000 pound a month isn't really that much whilst 100 pound a month is more than enough. (laughs) And that was by Charlotte Benton. But it's so true, isn't it? It's like one rule for us, another rule for them. But, um, did you see how the usual kind of um, right wing, why are the lefties using food banks when you can buy a kilogram of oats for 70 oh, pence? Have you noticed you know, how they're back? Yeah. So this was a tweet by, do, you, do we have the original yeah, tweet Yeah, it there? was Effie Deans, I think. Um, and she said, I can buy one kilogram of oatmeal from Tesco for 70 pence. It'll make 20 meals. Oh, my God. Imagine. Why does the left pretend people in Britain are starving? On what planet is 20 meals of porridge suitable nutrition? And so this was summed up really well by um, Louisa Britton, whose Twitter handle is at Roadside Mum. And she put, Today the poor have again been advised that we can buy one kilo of value oats from Tesco for 70p and 50 grams makes a meal. That meal has 188 kilocalories. Three meals offers 564 kilocalories a day, or to put it another way, 28% of what a woman needs or 23% for a man. We're being advised to die again. God, it's just... And I think me now, Viz put down like, what about, you know, that doesn't meet your nutritional needs whatsoever. (laughs) You're just going to get, we're just going to see a rise in diseases like scurvy and people aren't getting enough vitamin C. Uh, Yeah, it's it's just, it's just insulting, isn't it? It's incredibly insulting. Um, But I know, I know the lads love a fess hole. And there was one that I spied this week that made me laugh. And it said, um, my husband, (laughs) my husband voted Tory. Nothing else in 16 years has made me consider divorce more seriously. Like, I could never date a Tory man. It's just like number one turn no, I mean, off. genuinely, genuinely, I couldn't. Well, I'm married, so it's a bit late. Oh, you say you married a Tory, a Tory then? Oh, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> this, is, this is officially now an intervention. It's no longer a podcast episode. No, but what would you, what would you do if I told you that my husband was a Tory? Firstly, oh I would gosh. never marry a Tory. I'd need some time to think about 
the implications of this. Would you divorce me as a friend? But then I think, oh, would she be Tory by association? Oh my God, no. (laughs) She breathes the same air as a Tory, but no, obviously your husband's not a Tory and I want to make that very clear, like you have just done as well. He's not a Tory. He's not a Tory. I don't know, it's, it's, oh, I just couldn't like, when I remember when I was like online dating previously and I don't know, any, any sniff of a Tory had be like, no, that's, it just cannot happen. It cannot happen. I went on a first date with a closeted Tory once. Um, and as soon as I, I don't realized. Think you told me which one? Oh, God, no. Let's not do this. Let's have, do this. One day I'll write my dating memoirs, and which will be highly amusing. But no, this is. You have to send me the first copy because I know a lot of these memoirs and it's worth a read. This is nothing to do with the flapjack. This is a completely (laughs) different story. But as soon as I realized I was dating... The 80-year-old? No. Oh, God, Nina, this is... (laughs) Selling all my secrets. (laughs) He was actually mid-50s, but anyway, by the back. Uh, romance sort of the elderly anyhow. um, (laughs) Care of the elderly. When... no, um, No... no, when when this guy uh, told when I found out on the first date that this guy was um, a to- a closeted Tory, and then he kind of asked me for a, a Tory for a kiss, and he had just been eating squid, and I was like, "No, I can't. I'm allergic to squid. I'm afraid." And he was like, "But you've just ate it too," and I was like, "No, I haven't." <laughs> just <laughs> made a quick exit. I don't even know how we've got onto this. How did you find out he was a closeted Tory? As in, like he never offered up, he never offered up this information freely in our like preamble. And then when we were sitting having dinner, I realised that he was having some kind of, you know, as you get more comfortable with someone and they start to kind of show them their real yeah. selves and their real opinions come out. And he started becoming kind of very right wing. And I was like, oh, I've 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 been duped here. Like this is this is <laughs> not the kind of information that I thought was going to come out, but it did. So, um. You know, I don't think he would have denied it, but maybe I've said closeted Tory is, is not the right phrase, but he was a Tory in disguise. <laughs> his his tweed jacket and elbow pads should have given that away. But you know me, I like to give the He's benefit of the doubt. Yeah, <laughs> a tid, not a tilf. Oh my God, it's, it's going the wrong way. Oh Let's my God, on. it's really going the wrong Let's way. Move Let's move on. Oh God, where are we? So Talking about bad opinions. So um, this is a tweet by Cat pattern and she put shout out to the hca who had a go at me for not having done a discharge summary yet it was 4 30 my shift was eight to four and i hadn't stopped yet in brackets i ate whilst requesting things close brackets oh when she that broke my heart when she wrote that i know it's like as if she had to justify herself it's like no you don't need to justify yourself this is completely inappropriate i was working i'm like you shouldn't have to do that but this this is going to take two directions now, isn't it, Nina? So we go down the direction of of like the HCA and the hierarchy side of things, but then we also are going to go down the direction of an amazing cake opinion. Oh yes. So I can we start with Ronan's response to this tweet because I really liked his yes. response to it. So he put, um, HCAs are an important part of the team and should feel empowered to speak up for patient safety. But harassing someone for a discharge summary is not that and likely reflects behavior they've witnessed and modeled and has been allowed to continue. Yeah. I mean, I... Exactly. This poor girl, Kat, had so many arse wipes in her mentions, literally criticizing her for her time management, her priority skills. Why were you doing a discharge summary at 4.30? It's like... None of yous were there. Like, no one understands. And why do you think she hasn't done it earlier? If she hasn't done it well, earlier, it's it. because she's had other things that have taken priority Nobody wants that. to understand that, Nina. Nobody wants to understand that. So, How do people not get that? Like, exactly. what do you think she's been doing? Poor cow had to even eat while she was working. Exactly. Crying out loud. And then people were like, oh, but the HCA was just advocating for the patient. And it's like, no, you can take HCA out of this. It doesn't matter what grades or what role or what job this but person it's has. As if she's advocating for the patient why because the, she's not the, advocating she's just she's just being rude it doesn't matter what role you have or what you know in this perceived hierarchy of things she could have been any person exactly. in that role but she was just being vile and like you say Ronan has mentioned maybe that was modeled by other colleagues I don't know but there's never any excuse and why would we intentionally delay discharges anyway like it's no odds to us no odds to us at all exactly 
I wouldn't ever tell a HTR and why have you not done that now? Because I'm assuming they haven't done it now because they have been busy with other things. Like it's not for anyone's place to shout at. Yeah, it's that tone. It's the tone it's done, isn't it as well? Yeah, I don't think anyone thought this was going to kind of take the turn that it did. And to be fair, we haven't seen this rhetoric come up for a little while. So I guess I guess it was due. But um, oh, I love every time we yeah, do that. I, I, it's a little little chunk of gold in the in the response. Absolutely. Sometimes <laughs> you just, one person notices them, and then you see all the subtweets, and you're like, "Oh, okay, shit's gone down. Like, I need to have a look at this." <laughs> but um, won't, won't mention any names or whatever, because God forbid we be accused for pylons or whatever. Um, and I don't know. It just amazes me that this never this tweet never got taken down, never got deleted. So this person clearly stands I by know, it. I delete it immediately. Know, but this person said, "Thank you for proving the point about." issues with hierarchy in the NHS my advice is be respectful bring the nurses and HCA's food and you may have an easier time but with your current attitude I wish you all the luck with getting any help from anyone just implying that if you don't bring me food or cake then I ain't gonna help you we're not meant to be bribing people our colleagues to help that's where we've been going wrong all this time Nina that's where we've been going wrong oh my god do you know what? We need to get Neely on the case, don't we? Totally. We need to expand to bribe food bribery totally. as well. To, but um, to the icing ice on the cake for me, excuse the pun, was um, someone posted another recent tweet from this person um, who actually tweeted the comedian Lenny Henry um, a couple of weeks prior to say um, that his filming was disturbing the work parking where they work. But if some cake magically appeared from him for the NHS workers, then they may be able to forgive him. It's like, what's your obsession <laughs> with this? What? what is your obsession? It's just, uh, just go home and go and eat some mm. cake and or just bring some in in a Tupperware box if you need cake to be nice to people. Like we have cake club where I work now but that is not forced on us <gasps> this is something that we decided to That's do ourselves nice. a couple of weeks ago every Friday this is why I've this is why I've said that um I try not to be celiac or I, for, I just conveniently forget that I'm oh, celiac yeah. on Fridays now because of because of cake club um I think what cake do you have well, what well whatever you can either make it or you can buy it it's totally up to you there's never any pressure and we just take it in turns but um I I bought one. <laughs> Everyone else has made amazing cakes, so oh, I, yeah. I bought one. But I'd we've had um, we've had carrot cake. Oh my god, we had Guinness chocolate cake, which is the best chocolate cake Ooh. I've ever tasted. Could you taste the Guinness in it? Um, a little bit, but not not really. And obviously, all the alcohol is cooked off before people start saying, "Oh, you're having alcohol at work." Um, but honestly, it was like the best chocolate cake I've ever had. Um, yeah, so it's just like you know, it's not come from any seniors. It's very much come from our sugar cravings and the need to eat cake. That's a mutual thing. Yeah, Everyone's exactly, just mutually exactly. wanting to do it. It's not, you're not doing it to bribe someone to not shout so, at I'm, you. I'm thinking that maybe I should, like maybe I couldn't, I don't know, what's in it for me? Do you know what? Maybe everybody should carry like a box of Smarties or something in their pocket. So every time someone shouts at them, we just like, oh my God. Put a Smartie in their mouth. Me, like, I, do, I do that with my dog. <laughs> this is like going into a whole other territory now. This is how I, this is, this is what, <laughs> me and noodle do with like a little meaty treats i can't quite flick smarties into fair, people's actually, mouths to be fair i do carry a packet of haribos in my scrub pocket usually when i'm working is that for you though yeah yeah so you're not flicking them into other people's <laughs> mouths it's a good job good no. job little buddy here's a, here's a gummy Maybe bear anybody shouts every time the consultant charges flick just like yeah that's <laughs> into sli- slightly different slightly different but I really liked um I liked Zach's take to this where um he said I brought lobsters and Chateaubriand for all the ward staff but matrons still had to go at me for refusing to see any patients <laughs> attend any emergency calls or put on trousers honestly I don't understand what people want anymore <laughs> he always does have the best takes to it like uh it's always trust Zach to come up with oh, those yeah so funny <laughs> but there's a lot of big topics this week and going on from one which we I guess we jest about because it is just so farcical um going on to something slightly more grave and serious was the kind of amount of stuff that always comes up but again felt particularly at the forefront this week with respect to racism yeah. in the NHS it was just a lot of incredibly I don't know what the word is but yeah hard-hitting kind of stories this week wasn't it yeah, we we have quite a few of them actually, haven't we? So should I start with Dolly's mm. one? Dolly put a tweet up saying, um, there's no racism in the NHS, in inverted commas. Been asked twice this week, 
where are you from? No, where are you really from? Then these messages were sent on the first day that I joined an NHS staff chat group. FYI, I was the only Asian person in the group. I've left the uh, chat now. And some of the messages were just ridiculous. Like uh, One of them was said, oh, good, you'll have to teach me indie dance. Mm. Good morning, Dolly. India dancing. I'm sure you're good at it. Um, uh, it's just... Where does that even come from? Like, Where does that... I know. I know. It's it's just so in it's so inappropriate. I don't understand how people. This is these are grown ups. I know. This, how how do you still? I don't understand how this still keeps happening over and over again. People just don't don't learn, and they genuinely don't interpret interpret their words or their behaviors as racist and that's more concerning that's the worry isn't it I'm very aware that I'm speaking here as like a white woman so I can't I can't kind of pretend to have experienced this stuff but what I think what people like myself need to do is it's not it's not enough to just kind of condemn or you know just not be racist we have to call out this stuff like I guess like we're attempting to do here now and actually be anti-racist because, yeah, like you say, people saying these things and not <laughs> thinking that they're that they're racist is really worrying. Or you get those comments, don't you? Like, oh, I'm not racist, but or I can't be racist because I've got a black friend or whatever. Like, people need to be educated or not educated. People need to realise that that's that is a form of racism. Like, that's not good enough. Exactly, it's disgusting. It's the blind racism that's actually even it's harder to tackle. Mm than overt racism absolutely isn't it because yeah and and um minoritized nhs manager who's an amazing account to follow her handle is minoritized nhs um one of our favorite accounts yeah she's ace yeah she um she tweeted this week when a senior nurse tells you that they can't be racist because they support overseas recruitment and overseas is classed as ireland and italy it's it's like what it's absolutely crazy and in the same vein, um, this quote tweet of minoritized um, NHS managers, original tweet, a quote tweet by Evelyn Mensah, and she put, it's the same thing with accents in the NHS. Staff and patients are more tolerant of European accents than they are of accents from countries in the African and South Asian continents. Mm. There was a reply to that one that said, um, I remember the time I saw a nurse documented confused, aggressive, query delirium because they couldn't understand a Jamaican accent. <sighs> it's just deplorable. It's absolutely despicable. And it worries me that there's people like but this working true, in healthcare. I know. This is everywhere. It's not it's not it's not even a few people. It's no it's pretty right. Well that it's pretty right. Did rife. you see the report um but- that came out this week? I think it, I haven't actually read the report yet. It was, um, is that the original report by Nads White? It, well, yeah, but, na- they retweeted it, but it was a survey by the um, Black Equity Org who it was reported in The Guardian, I think, yesterday um, that 75% of black people aged between 18 and 34 have experienced prejudice while visiting doctors and hospitals and that 65% of all black people living in the UK have faced this discrimination from doctors, nurses and healthcare professionals. It's bad, isn't it? And Dr. Ruby, uh, she she tweeted, um, well, this is not even an angle I had considered, despite it happening to every black person I know, including myself. Doctors and nurses are a prominent source of racist interactions. 75% of black people have experienced it. But we're still really afraid to call it out amongst our colleagues, don't you think? I feel like people, I think it's still brushed under the carpet. But I don't know if it's afraid or whether it's people either not, realizing it which again is bad or people thinking oh well it doesn't affect me so I don't care I think there's a huge element of well it's not I you know I'm I'm not racist and it's and I'm not the one being prejudiced against so I'll just go along go along on my day it's not but that apathy is it's it's really hard to to change because unless we have everybody on side Mm. regardless of their skin color nothing will change exactly and that's but so what that's and that's so that's the point so like what what's happening nothing's happening it's it's so depressing and again I say I realize how privileged I am saying that as a white person sitting here it's just when when people get met with like so I think it was um Gurpreet whose twitter handle at g gupta tweeted something along the lines of um 
that she had feedback suggesting that she came across as angry after presenting about racism in palliative care. When you're getting feedback yeah. like that about bringing attention to something which is actually illegal, like racism is illegal and you're being called aggressive for bringing attention to that, where do you go from there? No. The whole system's actually, just... at what point... When is anger? Sometimes anger is justified. Yeah, no, it's it's you know, very anger much just is justified. Of it's course, it not, is. It, anger isn't always unprofessional when you're talking about a topic like that and you're presenting it. And you know, I think she wrote she didn't feel like she was presenting in an anger. It wasn't anger directed no. at a specific person. It was you know, which is unprofessional. It was just yeah. doing a presentation and feeling passionate about it because it's something that's so hurtful. But you know, the people who would have said that's aggressive is people who essentially feel uncomfortable with that. And that's as bad as being racist, isn't it? it? To to, like say, to have that apathy and to not care about it to the point where you feel like someone's being aggressive by telling you about it. Nah, doesn't sit right with me. No, but yeah, to to all kind of fellow healthcare professionals, I and I include myself in that. Do better, just do better. It's not good enough just to sit there and say, "Well, I'm not racist." Bugger that! You have to be anti-racist. You have to. Oh gosh. Something else that wasn't quite sitting quite right with us this week Mm. was a um, a Christian doctor, Christian GP from Kent who prays with his patients and says religious freedom is worth fighting for after reaching a legal settlement within the NHS. (laughs) So um, I think he had received um, a number of complaints over the last two decades relating to offering spiritual care to some patients. So he was actually uh, took part in discussing his use of prayer within his medical practice. Mm. I think that was what it was. Yeah. And he said he offered spiritual care to around one in 40 patients and about 80% of the people he offered patient, uh, offered prayer or religious support to took him up on the offer. On the offer. But that shouldn't, that shouldn't matter. No, that shouldn't matter. This no. person who is, I think it's important to mention, is a white male Christian, has been offering patients yet yeah, spiritual care, i.e. praying for them. And... Has, has had complaints about that. And I thought about, well, if this was me, so I don't have a religion, um, but I think no matter kind of what religion I was faced with in that respect, if I was a patient in, in this kind of GP consultation and they offered me to, to pray for some, some of my symptoms or pray for healing or whatever, I'd be freaked out. I would be so annoyed. I would be. Oh, that's just... It's not the time. It's not the place. It's not the place. But no. what the frustrating thing then was is that this was meant to go to tribunal this week or next week. Um, but apparently uh, in the last few days before the tribunal, chats were had and this gentleman has reached a settlement with the NHS. So it's not going to tribunal, tribunal sorry, and apparently just has to take part in a one-day training course at the cost of £500 relating to professional boundaries. And then I assume after that, he's going to carry on practicing. Whereas we know if one of our Asian colleagues or a Muslim colleague exactly. did this. I was just going to say that. Oh my that. God, imagine, yeah. imagine what imagine. was happening. So Sta- uh, Stephanie DiGiorgio uh, just wrote it perfectly. She said, a South Asian, you know, a South Asian Mus- Muslim colleague would not be given this treatment. I can guarantee it. NHS England and GMC would have come down much harder if they pushed religion and asked patients if they could pray for them. But that's true, isn't it? Exactly. Completely and true. Can you imagine the public outcry? I know. Well, if that was to happen. People have gone to tribunal and been referred to the GMC for a lot less. Like, is it Dr. Aurora with the laptop over a, over a, fra- yes, over yeah, a phrase? Yeah. And that they would, they have such this, like, penalised so heavily, which... You know, none of us can des- deny anymore that this is due to race. When you look at the outcomes of these things, people, uh, ethnic minority doctors get penalised much more harshly. And then this guy reaches a settlement, attends a one-day course and doesn't ha- even have to go to tribunal. It's like, make it make sense. It's fine if Absolutely. that's going to be your rule, but there needs to be promises that that applies to everyone, no matter what their ethnic background or their religion, not just 
white male Christians. But it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't, no, does it? Completely doesn't. And Stephanie also, Stephanie DiGiorgio also wrote, which was completely true. Um, she goes, and the balance of power in a consultation, if someone is asked, can we pray for you? Mm. is such that, pe- that people will say yes due to shock mm. and surprise and not wanting to offend. It's only afterwards that they realise what's happened and they get upset. Yeah. It's not consent. No, it's... It's weird, man. It's strange. Yeah, just don't do it. Yeah. Another kind of topic that garnered a lot of um a lot of frustration and input, I guess, from lots of medical Twitter mutuals this week was about um industrial action and senior doctors not supporting that, essentially, I guess, is a very diplomatic way to put it. But we need that. We need tech priests meme that says cardiologists we are do. at it again because <laughs> they very much were at it again in a number it's of ways. It's always a cardiologist. Um, but this was an interview in the Times um, this week that was with the president of the Royal College of Physicians. Um, and essentially the president was, was quoted as saying, um, well, the quote was, I don't agree that strike action is the right route to go because you're talking about patients here and you're talking about impacting on patient care. And this was followed on from apparently the president to sympathize that junior doctors um, and the workforce was exhausted and demoralized and then followed with that quote, which understandably got people very, very, very riled up when you think someone, you know, of big, standing the president of the Royal College of Physicians is in a national newspaper saying that they don't agree with industrial action and that it's compromising patient care. And they're meant to represent you and your mm. you know, you're meant to present represent not not just you're not talking about just about yourself, but you're just you're meant to be representing the actual college and the members of that college as well aren't you but like but also royal colleges not just the rcp and royal college of physicians but royal colleges in general and not trade unions and i guess they either shouldn't they should just keep quiet on this kind of stuff yes acknowledge that your workforce is overstretched demoralized you know mental health in the boots or whatever but they're not the right people to be having or making comments and statements about industrial action and, and and the fight for pay restoration and things. It's, we saw it in 2016. It can be incredibly damaging having like upstanding consultants, senior well-known consultants criticizing um, junior doctors for doing what we feel like we need oh, to do. It has do. a massive impact on public perception as well. Absolutely. Um, so this was a tweet by um, Tim Ricketts and he put, have you noticed that it's always consultants who are against striking? People who didn't have 9,000 a year fees, people who have a house already and perhaps a second, and who often have tidy private practice side gigs, plus ignoring the evidence that strikes don't cause harm. Yeah. Disclaimer, hashtag not yeah. consultants. I like how he had to put, had to <laughs> put, put that, that in. in there. I'll put that in there. But he's got a point, but also I remember in 2016, there were certainly trainees as well, people more junior than consultants who were very much against striking and stuff. And I hope that the actual evidence now that shows there's been no effect on mortality or morbidity during that time because of striking. I hope that proves to people now that actually you're not going to be causing patient harm. I, I think that's a, that's a rhetoric that's always used. What's the alternative? The alternative is not exactly. to strike and carry on in status quo. Like patients are already being harmed now mm-hmm. because of staffing shortages, because the pay is so poor. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons. Absolutely. But- so if if you don't strike and you you're, you this yeah. the strike is about improving future yeah. patient care and Rachel Clark at Doctor Underscore Oxford, um, who is another I guess well known consultant who's actually appears to be on our side thankfully. Uh, said it's as though there are two tiers of patients harm now uh, it's fine apparently for patients to die in ambulances on hospital forecourts uh, but not for junior doctors to strike as a last resort because of the theoretical risks of harm it's 2016 all over again it's like how are, how are they yeah. different yeah how are they different but um the rcp later that day on a saturday evening issued a statement and then the president of the RCP um, emailed all the RCP members, I think, on Monday. Um, this is very much just my opinion. Um, felt like 
it was a bit of a backpedaling. I wasn't convinced it was a real apology when things actually state, actually, no, I apologize that my comments were misrepresented, not actually apologizing for making exactly. the comments in the first place. Um, exactly. Which exactly. is a bit stinky. Um, but yeah, people, lots of people thought it was a brilliant apology. Lots of people commended uh, her for doing that and that's absolutely fine. But I think we've been burned before on things like this, especially in 2016 and just makes me very, very skeptical. Uh, and I just I want to end with that with a tweet by Junior Doctor Truths, and um, they put, "Why is it okay for staffing to be shit chronically, but it's suddenly going to become a patient safety problem if Junior Doctors strike? Stop guilt tripping juniors." Mm. Exactly. Um, yeah. Also, quick. Uh, whilst we're on the subject of cardiologists, I'll at it again. Um, the if anyone's doing a journal club. <laughs> Uh, in the near future uh our um as i say well no colleague of mine but uh dr dr Mulhotra is back with um I, i'm sure what he feels is a groundbreaking piece of research or that's what he's called it um in the journal of insulin resistance of all places sounds like a legit journal doesn't it nina um it does but yeah more more anti-vax rubbish being spouted um and i really don't understand why it's in the journal of insulin resistance but then someone pointed out he's actually on the editorial board for that journal so <laughs> i guess that says it all but apparently the aim of this research was to gain better understanding of the benefits and harms of mrna covid vaccines and of course of course the conclusion was that consent was not fully informed or ethical or legal and that um there is a case that the current COVID vaccine administration must stop until all data has been scrutinized. Interesting. I have no more words on that matter. <laughs> no. Yeah. I don't want to give this guy airtime. Exactly. At all, exactly. But, but uh, let's move yes. on to some funny tweets. Cool. My favorite tweet of the week. Oh, hang on. Let's let's move the PG rating from PG to 15 <laughs> slash 18 before we move this. on to this next segment. My favorite tweet of the, of the week was by at Sunday, was it at Sunday underscore girl? This is brilliant. She put, on the, flight, on the flight over to Ireland, both pilots were women, which sparked a debate amongst our group about whether we're using the term hashtag cockpit was really, <laughs> was it appropriate? I can't even, my thing's gone. We decided to call it a, clip pit making it hijack proof <laughs> since male hijackers would never be able to find it brilliant <laughs> did you did you see um did you see if a, a female pilot actually replied in the comments and said something like oh no yeah they said oh female pilot here yeah, i can confirm it's actually called a box office <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I saw oh um, some, someone who I follow retweeted the <laughs> um, retweeted that reply. I thought, and it was the reply that I saw first, and then went back and saw the original tweet um, showcasing the clip oh. pit, which I just thought was, how are people so funny, man? Like, how do people think of these things? What was your favorite tweet of the week? Um, <laughs> there was um, there was one I had. I don't know if it's really appropriate. Um, Oh, come on. But it's, uh, I guess it, I, no, no, I, I guess it's along the same um, lines. But you know, sometimes when you just see like a random tweet that has like tens of thousands of likes and then you read it and you're like, oh my God, yeah, that like, that really resonates with me. I don't even know why, but it just said, every woman has got one good boob and <laughs> one problematic boob. It's a universal <laughs> truth. And I'm like, yes. It, it, like, why is that? Like, why is that so true? I think everyone always has a favorite boob. Oh God, yeah. Least favorite boob. Totally. But um, yeah, I don't know. I was always. just like one of those things that I read and I was like, ah, uh -huh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, I definitely have one of these. Good boob and a crap. It's good to know. Crappy it's good boob. to know. It's universal. It is, man. Universal. You, you need to have some to know, but yeah. There's always one yeah, problematic do, boob. So we're just, we're just negating 50% of the There's listeners there. There's always one boob that lets yeah. us down, yeah. isn't there? Always, always. Oh, God. But uh, yeah, there was a, there was a good um, thread from Tim Ricketts uh, this week who was asking um, about what's your funniest medical story, the go-to story when people ask you for one. And there was lots of good... Um, Lots of good responses to that. So that was tweeted at 8.33 p.m. on September the 22nd by Tim Ricketts. Did you have any kind of stories that you wanted to share or? 
I oh god, I haven't actually thought of one of my own. I probably do. I've got oh, there's there's so there's so many, isn't there? There's so there's many. So many. Um, but did you have any from the thread that you'd enjoyed? Or? The, from one of the one from the thread that I loved was um, from is it Stee? Um, and he put as a student. <laughs> As a student, I used to get the phrases uvula and vulva mixed oh, up. <laughs> so he was incubating a patient. He said, I can see the vulva now. <laughs> You've gone in too far. That is a long way down. <laughs> that is a long way down. Oh, my God. But, oh, yeah, it was just a, do you have a favourite? Yeah, I, so one of my own that it made me think of is something I tweeted about recently and it's still just makes me chuckle when I think of it was um I was doing I was doing a like a supervised ward round and my clinical supervisor was like right this is a new patient let's do this as like a mini kex or a CBD um is a 103 year old um lady had come in with with dizziness and she needed post taking and stuff so she was like right go and do the assessment I'll stand back I'll watch you and we'll do it as a as a proper kind of portfolio assessment um yeah and started trying to talk to this lady who was quite it became quite apparent that she just didn't have a clue what I was saying and initially we kind of thought it was because she was hard of hearing which she she was to some extent but it since then as we I tried to carry on talking it was that I was too Welsh for her <laughs> and um the nurse in the oh, bay one God. of my colleagues who was a scouse lady literally had to come and be my translator and just repeat everything i your s- accent isn't even i know that- she had to <laughs> she tra- she had to just repeat everything that i said in a scouse accent and this lady was like oh yeah i know i know what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it was absolutely hilarious but yeah i love liverpool for many many reasons Stuff like that oh happening is one. Oh, actually, I do have one that I remember. This is from quite a few years ago, but I remember it was a patient that I knew quite well. And um, we just started the consultation and she asked me, um, would you mind if my mother joins the consultation? And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, And then she started rummaging in a bag and I thought she was calling her mother from, like the mother was in the waiting room or the car and then she was calling her on her phone. But then she she just pulls out an urn with her mother's ashes and she plonks it on the desk next to me and I was just I'm like do I say do I say hello like do I ignore the urn or do I just include the urn in like the consultation goodness oh my god and then she told me she was hilarious we've got we get on really well now she's hilarious and then she said um the week before she'd lost the urn on the on a bus oh. on the London bus and she panicked and she called the bus company and like she said I've left my mum on the bus I've left my mum on the bus and then she hung up but she forgot to tell them that her mum was actually dead she so wasn't then a they, <laughs> she wasn't. so she says I forgot to tell them like because to me she's still alive so she goes you forgot to tell them so they went to look for a little old lady oh, and then she goodness. went to lost and found and she found the urn and then she said the person that was working there um, asked her where she had found such a lovely container for her loose tea leaves. And she, oh, went, no. she went, that's my mother. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was just, I'll never forget oh, that consultation. No. We've had many a laugh about it since then. Oh. So, um, with, with the patient. Oh, God, that's okay, um, yeah. that's unfortunate, that was, isn't it? That's unfortunate. Yeah. I, remember, um, I remember another time, it was like my first ever night shift um, in F1 and it was like my second week as, as as a doctor and I got called at like 2am and they were like oh will you will you certify this death and it was on the coronary care unit and I was just like huh surely you know if someone's dead or not and they were like you know you just need to certify it which I didn't have a clue don't ask me what I learned in medical school but I didn't have a clue <laughs> what that meant so CCU was all in individual rooms so they were like, oh, doctor, this he's just in there. And so I walked in and the patient was very clearly deceased. So I just kind of sat on his chair next to him and I was just like, stared at him. And I was like, yeah, like, I think, like, yeah, he's dead. So I, I came out of the room and I was like, yeah, I agree. This, he is dead, unfortunately. And they were like, no, we know. <laughs> you just need to do the things. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'll, so there, I'll, if you haven't if you haven't been told it before, I know. <laughs> and then if I was like, why don't I know this stuff? So I was there googling, like on the on the nurses station. I was like, right, must check. Yeah, must listen to heart sounds for thirty <laughs> seconds. So I was like, right, 
tick that was a bit yeah I just oh I felt so bad but um oh. yeah things that you, I guess some things you learn on the job maybe oh yeah hang on there was another one from there that I really loved where was it oh there's well, oh no this was my favorite response sorry this was my favorite response it said um red notes for patient hallucinating new hearing voices and seeing people outside window in brackets we were on the seventh floor like planned ct head turn page cancel ct charity abseil dance outside <laughs> of the building <laughs> completely cracked me up oh my god that's the funniest thing ever there was one in medical school I remember my care the Owsley rotation in medical school and this lady came in and kept going on about how her son was walking from China and everyone was like oh she's she's delirious like has she got any background of cognitive impairment or whatever and she kept going on he's like no he's walking from China he's going to be here to see me or whatever and it actually turned out he was doing a charity walk like across (laughs) Asia (laughs) We were like, oh, <laughs> okay. Oh my god, so funny. But so um, funny. just I, guess, I can't stop reading this thread. It's brilliant. But there's one from Jess Walker, um, the other doctor, JD, and she said, "Moving a patient with SVT into recess, I crashed the trolley so hard into the wall that they cardioverted." <laughs> <laughs> That's good medicine. That's good uh, medicine. That is good medicine. Brilliant. So I think. Do you think? I think we've pretty much covered everything. We wanted to cover. Yeah. I've, I always love doing this with you, Nina. I'm always thrilled when the, the boys ask us back. We have a good laugh doing it, don't we? We do. We do. But and I we've hope... got something exciting coming up, haven't we, Bethan? What's that? Oh, yeah. We're going away for a weekend. We're going on a little holiday. Yeah, we're going away with May J as well. So that'll be, that'll be nice in a couple of weeks. And this has been, what, we planned it ages ago. We've had to delay it for years. We, we were meant to go last September. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic, though, isn't it? Like three adult yeah. friends living all sides of the bloody UK. And it's like, We finally yeah. made our diaries work a yeah. year later. This is adulthood. Later. This is adulthood. But yeah, no, I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. That's going to be lovely, isn't it? I know. It's going to be good. But um, yeah, yeah. I hope we've covered or done the been fire that is med twitter this week some service or disservice i don't know <laughs> um but yeah i think that's probably a good place to end it isn't it it is indeed thank you for listening everybody <laughs> yes take care have a good week and as imran says be good bye you say follow the money <laughs> oh also follow the money or follow good, the money <laughs> follow the money it's a good thing to follow take care everyone bye <laughs>